You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. We are going in God's Word in Malachi chapter 1. Today is the last of our series on heart matters as we are winding down the Old Testament. I know Brother Allen did a great job. I listened to his sermon on the way back from Virginia, and uh, he said that this, last week was the last week of the Old Testament, uh, but he was confused. Uh, it was my fault, I told him wrong, that this is the last week of the Old Testament. So if you came waiting to hear about the New Testament, as Jesus, as Mark said, uh, the Israelites waited 400 years for Jesus, you can wait one more week. And, uh, but if you hope that you will start reading along in the New Testament, and uh, today, uh, as we look at heart matters, as the prophets were reminding us time and time again, that it is about our hearts. And especially when we come to worship, our hearts are what matter. And today as we look, we want to be guarded from our hearts producing worthless worship. So if you would, join me in your copy of God's Word as we read along, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1 of Malachi. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name? Uh, let me, yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled foods of my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor, asked the Lord of armies. And now plead for God's favor. Will you be gracious to us since this has come from your hands? And will he show any of you favor, asked the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple door so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. But you are profaning it, and when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product is, its food is contemptible, you also say, look, what a nuisance, and you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals, and you bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands, asked the Lord? The deceiver is cursed 
who is, has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal for the Lord, to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. Let us pray. O God, as you have spoken through your prophet, through your word, perfectly true and right, though you spoke a thousand years ago, several thousand years ago, may this message be as fresh as the morning newspaper to our ears, to our hearts, speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Queen Mary made it her practice to often go on holiday to Scotland. And when she did, she would go and actually, without anyone around her, none of the fanfare, would walk among the people. Uh, She would go, especially around the children of the villages there in Scotland, and she would walk and enjoy. And as it often does in that area, a storm was brewing, and she had forgotten her umbrella. And so she stopped in a house. The woman was busy and really didn't pay much attention, but the the queen said, uh, please, may I borrow an umbrella uh, for my walk home? I'll be glad to bring it back to you tomorrow. Uh, The woman was busy. She didn't want to give away a new umbrella because she didn't know if she'd get it back. And so she just gave, uh, unbeknownst to her, the queen, one that she was uh, about to throw away, get rid of. It was one that had the, the bows were broken in one and it had uh, a hole in it and, and it was just enough to keep some rain off, uh, but it was certainly not a way to keep dry. And so the queen took that and went on her way, said, thank you very much, I'll return it tomorrow. And so that's what happened. The next day, however, the royal guard in their uniform showed up at the woman's house with the umbrella and said, ma'am, here is... Uh, the umbrella back that you offered yesterday. The queen wanted to make sure you got it back. And the woman was just flabbergasted. You can imagine her face, and she started to cry. She was upset that she had not recognized the queen, and she said, I have missed my opportunity to give my best to the queen. I wonder how often that we might say that when it comes to our worship. How often might we say that when it comes to our private or daily devotions? How often might we say that when we gather as God's people to sing praise and to pray and to read the scripture together? I wonder how often might we say, I didn't give my very best to God. Friends, as we understand the worship, it should be first and best worship that we owe God. God. Worship is supposed to be the celebration of who God is, the covenant fellowship with a living God. It's a time set aside for the covenant members of God's family to demonstrate their faith and to genuinely bring praise and thanksgiving to the one who has redeemed us. We say that we know that no matter what has happened in the week prior, no matter how bad life could be, there is certainly, as a believer, one born again, we know we have something rightfully to worship God about. 
We have been brought out of the pit. We have been brought from death to life. We have been made new. We have our sins forgiven. That is enough to give us, to give all sorts of praise to God and to give his, him our best and first. However, we often don't do that. Now, God has made that as a rhythm of his people. It should be something that is natural to us. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, he wanted to make sure that this was very easy and very natural. As a matter of fact, when he set up the festivals, uh, he did so in such a way that it was easy throughout the year for the people to gather in great celebration for both the forgiveness of sins and for thanksgiving. He set up three festivals, uh, the Passover festival, uh, the festival of Pentecost or weeks, and the, and, the, and the festival of booths. Each one of those coinciding in something that should have, the people should have been thankful to give honor to, of being freed from Egypt, of meeting God in Mount Sinai, and also God's protection in the wilderness. All of these things should have been great moments of celebration. But God did even something better. These were set up in natural times throughout the year when there was a season of crops coming in. So that when there were certain crops or certain uh, times of the year that there would have been easy for people to bring an offering to God. So uh, if any of you uh, have, are farmers, uh, we have some farmers here, when you get a crop in, you obviously are celebrating because what you had planted and what you had worked for and what you attended came through. And so what a natural time of response and worship it would have been for those people to come and bring worship and praise to God. The crop came, we're going to bring some to God, we're going to bring a lamb to God, we're going to bring an animal to God. And all these things, God made it easy for his people. And yet, they still did it half-heartedly. You see, he made it easy. He said, just bring a tenth of what you've got, the first fruits or the firstborn calf or whatever to come and bring to me. Just bring it, knowing and trusting that God would continue to give. Bring the first and the best. Why the first? Because the first meaning it was a priority. You didn't wait to provide for yourself and provide for the family and, and do all sorts of trade and different things. No, the first to show that it is a priority to you to worship God. And the best because what you give signifies the value of who you're giving the gift to. You want to give to God the best. And even though God made it very simple, the Israelites did not follow through. And just like us, sometimes we don't give our first and our best. You know, I've said this many times as we've talked through the Old Testament. We are very quick to look down upon the Israelites in the, in the Old Testament and say, oh, how much great faith you should have because you've seen these things in person. You, you got to see, you got to live there when you walked through uh, the Red Sea party. You, you got to see these things with your eyes and yet you wandered away from God. Why did you do these things? But here is us, those of us, we have been bought by the precious blood of the Lamb. We are just as unfaithful as them. We give half-hearted worship. Today, as we look at this and we look at the scriptures, we must ask ourselves, how often when you worship are you giving your first 
and your best. I wonder if your praise offering is your best. Is your money offering your first and your best? Is your time given to the glory of God your priority and your best? The Scripture tells us that if we don't, and as we read through Malachi here, we will say that it is worthless. We might as well not even give it because it is worthless. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, Jesus told the churches, I know you, I know your works that are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Later on, we'll read here in Malachi that you are doing uh, useless fire. (laughs) These offerings are worthless. So today, as we hear from the prophet Malachi, as he rebukes the priests, For allowing this to even happen, it is also a message to us to challenge us to not bring worthless worship, but instead bring God worthy worship. Worship that shows his true worth. And there's three harsh realities I want us to see of of worthless worship. Number one, worthless worship is cheapened worship. Cheapened worship. As we look at worship and what was happening here, we see that it was just not the best. It was cheap. The people just wanted to get by with what they were doing. If you just kind of walk through the text, you see in verse 6, the sin according to God, that the priest despise his name. Well, what is it to despise the name of God? That would be the question I would ask. Well, the word uh, there, despise, later in verse 12, the word was profane. Uh, It means to wound or stab. It's a word in connection to the glorious, precious name of God. Wounding it, stabbing it, you're cheapening, you're cutting down who he really is, his character, making him less of what he truly is. If he is holy and mighty and faithful and good, should we not treat him the same way that he is due in our worship? So that is what was happening. Well, we read on. How did the Israelites despise his name? Well, we read there in verse 7. By presenting defiled food on my altar. Uh, He says, well, how have we defiled you? On the Lord's table. What did that mean? Verse 8. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? You present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? You see, what was happening, these sacrifices were, were cheap sacrifices. It did not cost them anything or cost them very little. You see, the Israelites were supposed to come and bring sacrifices or offerings that were for both the forgiveness of sins as well as praise and thanksgiving. Imagine this, bringing diseased and sick sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. How bizarre to offer a sacrifice to cover your sin and your family's sin with a blind or corrupt offering. How bizarre is it that we would offer a sacrifice meant to express dedication or thanksgiving, but it was diseased? It is what they would do is say, well, I'm just going to take, instead of something that was costly to me, um, I have a crop. Some of it came in maybe too early or spoiled on the vine. There's no way for me to reap a full benefit from that. So I'm going to take this 
Not the good stuff that I'm going to get the full price for. I'm just going to bring this instead, and that means I gave an offering. Or there was a sheep or a goat or a sheep for the, for the wool, and the wool was spoiled in some way or diseased in some way. I'm going to do this one because, one, I'm not going to really breed this one anymore because it has a disease, so it's not of any value to me. So I'm going to bring that as an offering instead. They were trying to get by as cheaply as possible to cover themselves, to look like they're giving thanks to God, but it didn't cost them anything. Friends, God deserves more than our throwaways. Cheapened worship is worthless worship. If it costs you little to, to nothing, are you giving your best to God? It reveals that you're just going through the motions, that with your lips... You are saying that you love God, but you know that your heart doesn't. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 15, hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I love how God goes even further in verse 8. Take these sacrifices to your governor and see if they'll take those. (laughs) Take these to the the people I have put in power. This this is how ironic it is. God is saying, I put rulers and authorities and governments in place and you certainly wouldn't take them to the king or the governor. Why would you bring it to me? They are below me and yet they wouldn't even take it. Yet you think it's fit for me. See, we try to cover over to cheapen to get by. We show up, we go through the motions, we, we open our Bibles to our devotion and maybe read it and skim through it and say that we've done it for the day. But friends, are we giving God our first place, the priority and best? We try to cover over it and make it look like it is. Now I'm from the south, a little bit further south from here. And good southern people, when you go to a friend's house, one of the things that you're supposed to do, uh, or what we used to do, I don't know if we do it anymore, if you go to somebody's house, you take a home-cooked thing along with you. Oh, I'm coming to your house, I'll, I'll bring you this, right? That's what you do, you bring something home-cooked. Now, from time to time, you get too busy, you can't do a, a cooked thing, and so what happens? You, I gotta just, I'm gonna run by Kroger, I'm gonna get something, right? That's no big, look, if you came to your friend's house and, you, and they're truly your friend and you say, hey, I just didn't have time. I just, I brought this. I hope we could eat it. They'd be, oh, that'd be no problem. Bless your heart. That's what they say. Bless your heart. No problem. But what do we do? And I've seen it happen. I'm not calling anybody out on it. I'm just saying, I've seen it done it. I'm not saying I'm, I've done, maybe I have done it. You go to the store, you get something. What do we do? We put it in a homemade bowl, we sprinkle some stuff on it, and it looks like we spent all day making this, didn't we? We've, co- we, we, we've covered over what it truly cost us when we go to that person's house. Now we say, oh yeah, this was grandma's old recipe, you know, McCroger, you know, my, my grandma McCroger, you know, she, she really had a great recipe. But isn't that what we do with our worship? We say, God, you deserve this. We cover it over, feigning through the motions, giving half-heartedly. Here's some things people often excuse themselves from worshiping and serving God. I'm tired. I just can't do anymore. 
You know, some say, I used to do this as a child. I just, I've, I've been burned out on religious nature. Or, at that church, I just feel so unappreciated there. You know, I went there and nobody talked to me. How many of those excuses would go good at your workplace tomorrow morning? Boss, I just can't do anything today. I'm just too tired. Boss, I can't do anything. Yolanda was talking about me last week. I just can't do anything. Just give me my check at the end of the week. Friends, we wouldn't do that in any other capacity, yet we treat God in such a cheap manner. One of the big things that's affecting the church today, and I'm not saying our church, but many churches, is the frequency of worship. The statistic used to be of a regular church attender. If you were a regular church attender, they would say you attended a church three Sundays out of the month or more. Now, the average attendance of evangelical Christians is less than two a month. Imagine how much you're missing being a part of God, being a part of God's family. And you say, well, he's a priority to me. Brothers, you're... Brothers and sisters, you're giving lip service, but you're not giving heart service to God. Matthew Henry wrote, Nothing profanes the name of God more than the misconduct of those whose business it is to do honor to it. Are we giving our best to God in worship? Do we arrive on time with hearts that are prepared, eager to worship? Do we concentrate on what we're doing in the public worship service? Do we give the preaching of God's Word a grateful and careful hearing? Are we giving our all when we pray, when we worship, when we sing? Brothers and sisters, we must watch that we don't cheapen our worship because, number two, worthless worship impacts our intimacy with God. Verse 9, you see, uh, as he asked this question, would you bring it to the governor? And God asked this thing, and now you plead for God's favor? Will he be gracious to us since this has come from your hands? Will he show any of you favor, asked the Lord of armies? I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar down at the bottom, and I will accept no offering from your hands. God speaking is saying, you're bringing me these lame offerings. Why should I accept them? And in turn, why should I come to you? Why should I listen to your worship? Why should I hear your prayers? Why should, how can we be intimate together and how can we be close? How can I, he says, show you favor? Panim is the Hebrew word there to favor. It means to show face. God is saying, how can I show my face to you? How can I turn my attention to you? Why should I turn my attention to you if you're giving half-hearted, cheapened worship? Friends, we must be understanding that, that when we are sinful, that we're giving half-hearted worship, it's like a, a debris uh, clogging a hose we are are blocking the ability for us to connect to God and for him to to connect to us see God is uh, God is examining our hearts and this doesn't mean that we have to be perfect in order to get our prayers answered but there must be a clear channel between us and God for us to expect blessings through friends we cannot be ignored it's not it's not 
popular to hear this, but the success of our prayers is tied to the conduct of our lives. The whole Bible speaks to this. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 to 2 says, Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save, and in his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. John Benton observes that God's answering our prayers does not depend on our being sinless. If this were the case, none of us would have our prayers answered. For none of us are perfect this side of heaven. But instead, our prayers do depend on our seriousness about our fight against sin in our lives. Oh, how many times that in my own life that I felt like nobody, God's not listening to my prayers. And instead, after careful prayer and time and God's word, I realized, oh, there's sin hindering my life with God. Friends, we must not cheapen our worship because it deters the intimacy and attention of God. You know, when my team doesn't, doesn't play up to expectation, you know, two years ago, uh, the Eagles came over here to the Bengals and played, and everybody, to every, both sides, Bengals writers, Eagles writers, both said, boy, that team did not show up today. They just kind of came and put through the motions. And as a fan, I hate watching, of, of all the things, stupid penalties, drop balls, all these different things. I just turned the channel. I said, I can't watch it. I'm, I'm getting too upset. They're not here to play. So why should I as a fan pay attention to what's going on? I'm just turning the channel and walk away. Well, wouldn't God feel that way if we're giving half-hearted worship? Why would he give us the attention we long for? We can't cheapen our worship. Later in the chapter, he gives a direct example of this in the book, excuse me, in chapter 3. He calls it the chapter how, how our cheap giving impacts us. How God says you are hurt by your own lack of generosity. In Malachi chapter 3, he says, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. How do we rob you? By not making the payments of the tenth of the contributions. You are suffering. Listen to this. You are suffering under a curse. So you're under a curse, but you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way. The Lord of armies says, see, if I will not open the floodgates of heavens and pour out a blessing for you without measure, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Look at what he's, he's saying in that. He's saying, look, uh, if you would give me what I asked for, then you would, would be protected in this time of drought because you will be blessed in my name. But yet you're robbing me. What he's saying is, I have given you it all. Your produce, your land, your finances, your money, everything is mine. I've asked you to give a tenth back to me and yet you won't even give that back to me and so and you, then you say it's all yours and you'll do with whatever you want God's saying you're robbing me and how can you go on robbing me and expect blessings in return 
people who will pray and say, I wish God would provide more for me in finances. God would give me more so that I could cover this. And God might ask the question, how can I give you more if you're not faithful with what you have? Some of you are here today to say, well, if this is the case, how will God hear anything that I have to say? I'm never perfect. I won't bring my all to worship perfectly. Even if I gave a tithe and fixed my attitude, I certainly will fall short. This is the good news of the gospel. That even when we fall short, God has demonstrated his love through his son Jesus. That Jesus gave the perfect worship through obedience and death on the cross so that in our imperfect worship, he hears us and loves us. That if we accept Christ as Savior and Lord, we are born again, and it is even only because of Jesus Christ that we have an audience with God, that it is in that we know that we are heard by God. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, I am struggling, I'm trying, I'm hurting, I'm doing everything that I can. Well, friends, hear this. It's not by the amount. It's not by what you do. It's by your heart. And is your heart, can you say in your heart, you've done everything with a priority and with your best? Friends, trust the gospel of Jesus today. There is hope for all of us. And this is the real reason our worship shouldn't be cheap because number three worthless worship give fails to give the glory due to God in verse 11 through 14 I'll just summarize this 11 says my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to the setting incense and pure offerings will be presented in the name of every place because my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of armies Verse 14 again, it says, uh, I am king and my name will be feared among the nations. These participles in verse 11 and 14 are saying, they will for sure be great. I will be great among the nations. I will be honored among the nations. As Malachi always looks to a future time, Malachi and through God's word through him is saying, look, there is a time that is coming that my name is great among all the peoples of the earth, over all of the planet, of all peoples. They will bow at my name. It will be done. Friends, my question to us today is, will we be counted there? Will our voice be among the chorus of the redeemed? Can we say among this place and in this time that we are giving worthy worship to God? This rightfully reminds us of our cosmic relevance of our worship. We worship because God has redeemed us. We worship to bring Him glory throughout the world. It is inconceivable that believers of this world who have been transformed by the blood of Jesus would give cheap worship to Him. The truth is, is if we choose worship, we must be counted. We must give the first, the priority, the best, because we know we are part of God's children. Piper highlights this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. 
we must be among the chorus that gives proper praise and glory to God so that as that it overflows to the world that others may know him that they would bring praise to God but he says this the missions is not the ultimate goal of the church worship is missions exist because worship doesn't worship is ultimate not missions Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. And don't get confused with his words. He's not saying don't do missions. He's saying for the glory of God do missions. In your worship, in your daily time, in the way that you live as you bring glory to God, that is a priority. And overflow of that, missions become something that we know has an expiration date because we will be worshiping God. Those of us of the redeemed forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is why our worship cannot be cheapened. We must have focused prayer, brokenhearted for change in a sermon, singing that is not meant for us or because we like the tune or because we like the song, but instead that the words bring, bring glory and honor to Him. A worship-filled heart for His glory, giving our all to Him. In South Africa, Nick Ripken, uh, R- Nick Ripken was able to Uh, tell a group of church of many believers there in South Africa about an offering that had come in from the churches in the United States. He understood that really this offering did not cost the churches in America much. It was a $10,000 offering. That's a big amount of money. But, you know, 10 churches at, you know, $1,000, Boom. I mean, that's not a big deal for many churches, or maybe there was 50 churches that gave a little. But in their mind, these people who made a dollar a day, lived on a dollar a day, this was huge. They were amazed that the church in America loved them that much that they would send this great offering, that it was such an amazing sacrifice. And so a spontaneous giving broke out among those people. Here are people who just live on a dollar a day. They, they were so encouraged that they said, well, we want to be a part of this. And they started to bring just a little bit that they had to come and offering it. He said it just, it just kept happening and kept happening. And, and he said he noticed and watched a little woman who needed to be helped walk down the aisle. And she came to the front and she took a little handkerchief that was tied together. She took it out and she put this, this silver coin and on the tray and she went back she was in tears and she went back and uh, they went and looked at it and it was a British halfpenny at that point she unbeknownst to her uh, the halfpenny was out of circulation so it actually was worthless in monetary value and so when Nick sent somebody, a, a pastor, to go talk to her and said, Ma'am, well, why did you bring this? And she said, Well, this is my retirement. This is everything that I was saving for the future. In her mind, though the monetary value was worthless, it was all she had. And Nick Ripkin said, You've heard the phrase, you can't 
outgive God. He said, I'm not even going to try. I can't even give out, outgive the old woman in South Africa. Friends, it wasn't the amount. It was that she was giving all she had. In worship, it's never about a number of tears shed, hands raised, or the amount of money given that quantifies your worship. Is it your first and your best? Have you given your all to him? Can you say that today? Let us pray. God, we ask you this morning as we come convicted by your word to be reminded that we are to give are all to you. God, we pray this morning that if there's someone here that is discouraged or confused or have been questioning, could God even hear me today? I pray, God, that you would, you would help them to see that you love them and that despite any imperfections, despite the sin that they've had in their life, that if they would call out to the name, your name of your son, Jesus, to be saved, today they will be born again. Today they can be assured that their Father in heaven hears them and loves them. And I pray today, through knowing Jesus Christ, Lord, hearing of Jesus Christ, that they would be saved. And God, I pray for those of us who are believers that we would be convicted that worship is not about us. And when we do come to worship, that we can't just go through the motions. It can't be cheap because you've given your all to us. May we give you our first and best. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at HebronBaptist.org. Or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow him.